the age issue hangs over our presidential election and, of course, South Florida. The Miami Seaquarium could get its lease yanked, and Bob Marley hits the big screen. Welcome to the South Florida Roundup. I'm your host, Tim Paget. In the next hour, we'll discuss the age and competency anxieties that are gripping this year's presidential election, because if South Florida, America's senior citizen central, can't address them, who can? We'll also look at the animal welfare and other concerns swirling around the Miami Seaquarium and whether the county might shut it down. And we'll talk with the daughter of the late Jamaican reggae legend Bob Marley, the subject of the new biopic One Love. All that coming up right after the news. I'm Tim Paget. Welcome to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. Bienvenidos, bienveni, bienvindo. In recent days, especially after last week's release of a special counsel's report that offered a harsh assessment of 81-year-old President Biden's memory faculties, age has become a, if not the, central issue of this year's presidential election. That certainly includes the presumptive Republican nominee also, 77-year-old former President Donald Trump, whose own cognitive lapses are now anxious grist for the media mill. And it raises a big question. At what point do we decide our elderly leaders are too old to lead? Or maybe I should word that question more precisely, because just being old per se does not qualify, disqualify a person, even for the White House. What we should ask is, what are the criteria for deciding that an elderly person is no longer competent for the presidency or anything else? And if there's any place in America where we should be able to discuss those very real signs, it's South Florida, the country's retirement mecca, its senior citizen central, if you will. So that's what we're going to do now. So is age just a red herring or a red flag? Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576. You can also tweet us at WLRN. Here in the studio with me is WLRN's health reporter, Veronica Zaragovia, who has reported for us on these age and competency issues. Veronica, how are you? Hi, Tim. Great. Very happy to be here. And also with us from Boca Raton is Candy Cohn. She is a certified senior advisor and the owner of Oasis Senior Advisor South Florida. In other words, she's someone who deals with these questions on a daily basis in the real world. Candy, thanks for joining us. Hi, Tim. Thanks so much for having me here today. Now, this issue is so prominent across the country right now that Jon Stewart led The Daily Show with it on Comedy Central this week. Let's, let's take a listen. One thing we know for certain is this. We have two candidates who are chronologically outside the norm of anyone who has run uh, for the presidency in this country, in the history of this country. They are the oldest people ever to run for president, breaking by only four years the record that they set! <laughs> the last time they ran! So. Stewart's focus there, frankly, brings up what I mentioned a moment ago, that this, this fear that aging itself is the issue, when in reality, we should be focused on trying to discern whether aging has produced the sort of cognitive impairment that might compromise a U.S. commander-in-chief's performance. Candy, can you walk us through how experts like yourself try to 
compartmentalize, let's say, aging and the effects of aging in, in your work? Yes, sure. So I help people find senior living communities that includes independent living, assisted living, and memory care. So when I get a call, it's often from the adult child who might notice there's been some changes with their parent. Right. And oftentimes it takes, they have to spend a lot of time with their parent to truly understand what's going on. Mm -hmm. You know, people are often very good at hiding it, at compensating. Yeah. So it's not a cut and dry, simple solution. There are certainly many mental exams that primary care physicians do. And then if it gets to the next level, someone would go to a neurologist and have a whole series of extensive tests done. But you can also notice changes in their daily, the way they live, you know, if they've stopped remembering immediate short, if their short term memory is failing, that's really the time that we need to be alarmed. More, more so than long term memory lapse. That's correct. Right. So people right. with dementia might remember what happened when they were 10 years old vividly okay. and they'll enjoy telling you about it, but they can't remember if they ate breakfast an hour ago. Right. Okay. No, very good point. And, and we've all been, been, been through this to a certain extent. Veronica, given that aging is such a forefront issue in South Florida, how do you think the community here is reacting to this presidential aging debate? I, I, I mean, I, I would imagine there's a lot of conflicted feelings here because on the one hand, we know better than most places in America here the negative effects of aging. But on the other hand, we also know especially well the positive aspects of aging. We're especially qualified here to warn the rest of the country about aging, but we're just as equipped here to warn the country against discriminating against the elderly, right? Right, absolutely. I mean, we might see uh, employers like Publix making jobs available for people uh, past uh, 65 years of age. We have cities that do planning so that people can walk and not be as isolated. Um, so certainly people here don't, you know, we have a, a very large senior population and, and yeah. this is certainly not something that people would take well because of their age. But I will say that what I've heard most is politicians who have taken this to kind of fight, like let's say, Senator Rick Scott uh, said that this memory slip is a sign that President Biden should step down, whereas a representative in the U.S. Congress, Jared Moskowitz of Parkland, said that both men are either in their late 70s for Trump, early 80s for mm -hmm. Biden, and these slip-ups are typical, just like Trump uh, mixed up the leader of Turkey and right. Hungary. And yeah, we've or, seen or, it. or Egypt and Mexico, right. in Biden's case. Exactly. And Candy, that goes back to what you were saying, that this is this is something that not only the the person directly involved, but the people around them, like family members or White House staff, um, do take pains to try to hide. Um, is is that something that this this whole debate we're having right now is going to make us more aware of moving forward? Do you think? I, I think it will, but I, I do think it's important that people understand that one, you know, a slip up here and there is not necessarily memory loss or dementia. Right. There's there's certainly a difference, and there's a difference in just normal aging and dementia. 
Right. You know? And again, I'm, I'm intrigued by that distinction you made between long-term and short-term memory loss in the sense, you know, it, it, when we're talking about a job as important as the president's, um, just because they might not remember, let's go back to that special counsel's report, they might not remember the exact year that a, fam that a family member's death occurred. That, that, that perhaps is not as much of a warning signal as not being able to remember what you had for breakfast this morning. Absolutely. And you have to keep in mind the emotional strain that someone is under, certainly in front of reporters and, you know, the public is yeah. that's going to be different than normal functioning. And all of that has to be taken into consideration. Mm -hmm. And it really has to be looked at over a long period of time, right. not just one or two incidents. Now, Candy, again, the mere fact that President Biden and former President Trump are 81 and 77, respectively, in and of itself does not disqualify them. What this does seem to all boil down to, as we've been discussing already, is memory. So what do doctors and advisors like yourself look for when you're trying to decide if age has begun to deteriorate that crucial faculty? Not, not just forgetting what you walked into a room for, which happens to me 10 times a day, but forgetting something much more dangerously consequential like, say, nuclear weapons protocols. Right. So in a, the kind of situations that I'm dealing with would be more someone in their house. And if they leave the oven on and they could set fire to their house, if they're forgetting on a regular basis to take their medications, they're forgetting to eat, they maybe are putting something that doesn't belong in the refrigerator, in the refrigerator, maybe a shirt, you know, something totally off base. Mm -hmm. They could also start to hallucinate, you know, if the dementia becomes severe. Right. So... And paranoia is another sign that often is a red flag. Mm -hmm. Now, Veronica, you recently interviewed a neurologist here who specializes in geriatric issues like Alzheimer's, for example. And you say he offered a lot of valuable insight into how to recognize when casual forgetfulness has morphed into cognitive issues. What were some of the biggest takeaways for you in terms of, of his conversation? Oh, that conversation, I want to mention Dr. Mark Gronin. He's with Miami Jewish Health's Mind Institute. And I mention it because the Institute has a grant to do free screening and consultations through the month of February. For people who might be concerned, maybe they have a parent who has Alzheimer's in their 80s or 90s, and they want to know how to keep their brain healthy. And what he mentioned is some in really important tips for you can modify the risk of developing Alzheimer's by about 30 to 40 percent by um, if you check your hearing, because your brain needs that stimulation. And when you're not hearing well, you're losing mm. that opportunity. Your diet and exercise are key to to that. And um, so he really suggests you can you can't reverse Alzheimer's, but you could do things to modify the risk factors. Also, loneliness. I want to emphasize yeah. that when you're not getting social stimulation, it's right. very dangerous. You really need to force yourself to be social and, and interact with others. Hmm. This is the South Florida Roundup. I'm Tim Paget. We're talking about age and the presidential election from a South Florida perspective. Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576, or tweet us at WLRN. Candy Cohn, on, on, what are the other big questions here? And I think this is something we, we, we sort of alluded to earlier is um, if we do recognize cognitive impairment in an elderly person, um, is there inevitably a denial issue to deal with, which, which may well 
we, we may be, well be seeing in both Biden and Trump now. I, I mean, this is a serious pride issue as well. I mean, before my mother passed away a few years ago at the age of 83, I took her to more than one cognitive test with a doctor and I could sense the understandable indignation she was feeling. Is that perhaps what we're also up against here regarding these presidential candidates? Yes, I'm sure it is. There is definitely a huge sense of denial. And that's why a lot of times elderly people become really good at compensating and covering it up. So oftentimes, if they just talk to their children on the phone who live far away, they can totally fake that they are absolutely doing fine. But then when you the child comes and visits them and spends any length of time with them, they're often shocked because they're yeah. they they can be hiding things. Right. Now, Veronica, as, as you know well, cognitive decline is a mental health issue as well as an aging issue. So let's let's say Biden or Trump do present cognitive warning signs. Do medical experts think that's something that can be treated and improved with therapy or meds the way we they might treat these men's prostates, for, for example? And I ask that mainly because we're seeing a lot of interesting news lately about treatments that show promise in at least slowing dementia, right? Right. Well, what we have on the market are immunotherapies, and those are infusions you would have to get on a regular basis that only work to slow down the progression of Alzheimer's by about 30 mm percent. -hmm. And you have to start those very, very early onset. So once you're passed into a certain stage, they just don't work anymore. They certainly do not cure or reverse Alzheimer's or related dementias. They're just right. able to slow it down. And I will say one thing that I also want to share with listeners in the, related to this topic is that negative viewpoints of aging also can affect your chances of Alzheimer's or related dementias, as can sleep apnea. So you really do want to get checked. What do you mean by negative viewpoints? You know, it's fascinating. There's been research done that when people think of aging as this terrible process and they mm -hmm. don't see any positive aspect to it, right. it really has a very big detriment to your brain health as you okay. age. So positive thinking. Positive thinking. Right. And, exactly. As is the case with a lot of ail uh, conditions. Yeah. Right. So Candy Cohn, as, as a certified senior seniors advisor here in South Florida, I wanted to take a couple steps back at this point and ask you, is the American public perhaps jumping the gun here when it comes to the aging issue for President Biden and former President Trump? I mean, both men have demonstrated some cognitive tendencies recently that have raised flags. But is that the same thing as saying these two elderly men are somehow no longer competent to serve in the Oval Office? I don't think it's possible for people to say that without having full access to their medical evaluations. You know, certainly they've had formal evaluation, cognitive assessments. I don't know if they've done brain imaging on them. That would be mm -hmm. a more extensive test that, that is possible. Right, good point. So everyone has their opinion, but we don't really know what goes on behind closed doors and what all the details are. Mm -hmm. Veronica, let me kind of put that same question to you. I mean, should we be concerned here as supporters for both Biden and Trump argue that the country is slipping into ageism here. I mean, let's consider the rather cavalier way that special counselor, Robert Hur worded his report on President Biden last week, quote, a well-meaning elderly man with a poor memory. Kind of condescending on, on the one hand, but on the other hand, something we just can't ignore. But was her her flirting here with age discrimination that could have effects not just on the presidential campaign, 
but on the way the elderly are treated in the U.S. in general. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as a journalist, I'm always thinking about learning and how I can better explain things to people. And I think that turning down someone because of their age is just such a really um, a foolish thing to do. And I think we do, like Candy has mentioned, the testing is really important to understand how someone's brain health is faring. And for instance, I've heard a lot of comparisons to of, uh, between Biden and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And she had a cancer diagnosis, and it wasn't her age that mm-hmm. ultimately, um, uh, you know, was a reason she should have stepped down from the, court, from the Supreme right. Court. Right. And so we really need to be careful and also not use use age or somebody's appearance as a way to to bring them down when we don't like what they're saying because mm-hmm. uh, it really ageism is, a, is just as bad as any other type of discrimination and, and we shouldn't support that. Now, Candy, a lot of this also has to do with perception. Polls indicate voters feel both Biden and Trump are too old to be president. Yet those same surveys show more of them feel that way about Biden than about Trump. And political experts say that's because Trump tends to be more animated and expressive on the stump out there than than Biden is. I I don't want to get into the politics of it here, of course. But from your experience, is it sometimes harder to tell with some people than with others that they're experiencing these issues? Yes, absolutely. And certainly, you know, Biden has been coming off a little more frail and more soft spoken. Trump certainly is not doesn't uh, show us that part of him. So a lot of my clients and I often tell my clients because they might walk into a place and say, oh, I don't want to live with all those old people, even though they don't see themselves that way. But I always say to them, you need to talk to all of these people and find out what's going on inside of them. They might be fine. They might just look old. So I I do think that's a perception issue. So, Veronica, finally, in the 30 seconds we have left, do you think this aging uproar involving Biden and Trump could change the way we approach the issue? And if so, is it changing it for the better or the worse? It seems like as a society, we were heading down the path of, Hey, 80 is the new 70, you know? Does it seem now we're retreating back into a much more pessimistic view of getting old? Yeah, exactly. And as we spoke about earlier, that's a, it's dangerous for all of us. And, and Dr. Gronin said the best thing you could do if you have a parent who has Alzheimer's, for instance, is to worry about how you can improve your own brain health. And negativity and, and division is not going to help you and your cognition. So better, to, like, let's change this tone that we're using. All right. Veronica Zadagovia is WLRN's health reporter. Candy Cohn is a seniors advisor and owner of Oasis Senior Advisors South Florida in Boca Raton. Many thanks to you both. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Still to come, are the problems at the Miami Seaquarium big enough to yank its license? This is the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. Welcome back to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. I'm Tim Padgett. The Miami Seaquarium has been an iconic attraction here for almost 70 years. Episodes of the iconic TV show Flipper were filmed there. Just as iconic animal stars like Lolita the Orca or Killer Whale have called it home. Lolita, of course, died last year and her departure seems to have signaled the demise of the Seaquarium itself. 
In recent months, the 38-acre marine park on Virginia Key in Key Biscayne has come under intense scrutiny for substandard animal care and a lack of certification. In fact, this month, Miami-Dade County has notified this aquarium that because of those issues, it is likely in violation of its lease. Miami-Dade Mayor Daniela Levine-Cava had already warned the company that now runs this aquarium, the Dolphin Company, that her office was inclined to terminate that 2022 lease due to reports of animal abuse involving a sea lion, penguins, flamingos, flamingos, a dolphin, and more. Should the county shut down this aquarium, or is it too important a Miami attraction? More important, how did this important attraction get to this point? Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576, or tweet us at WLRN. Joining me from Key Biscayne is John Pacenti. He's executive editor of the Key Biscayne Independent, and he's been closely following this rather sad state of sequarium affairs. John, how are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. No, thanks for joining us. Bring us up to speed, if you would, about where things stand at this moment between the Sequarium and Miami-Dade County. Well, Sequarium hasn't really responded to the latest uh, notices that the county has sent them, that, you know, they're behind in their rent, uh, Mm -hmm. that there's buildings that are not up to code. Right. Behind and, in the, behind in the rent to the tune of almost eighty eight thousand dollars. Right. Yeah. They missed their December payment. Right. OK. Which isn't which isn't right. a good sign. So, you know, uh, they did push back on the county when they initially said they were going to terminate the lease because the county was under the impression that the USDA ordered uh, up to four animals removed. Sequarium mm-hmm. uh, made corrective uh that you know made corrections and mm-hmm. those animals were not removed but the, and they but, were yeah. but the big issue and, now and, it seems to be about certification right well yeah now uh, thanks to the news organization that we all know uh, wsvn a lot of you know new times herald myself we're all been covering it they uh did something very simple they looked at the accreditations on their website and notice that most of them had disappeared from the last time they looked about a year ago. Right. Yeah. Not not good reporting. Not not good. So as a result, how close do you think Mayor Levine Cava is now to shutting down the park's lease? Well, I believe she's dedicated to ending the relationship with Sequarium's current owner, the Dolphin Company. She uh-huh. wouldn't be being so public about it and, you know, finding more violations. Uh, yeah, you know, not only as you said, they're in violation of the lease because of animal care. There's the, the certification issue. It's the rent issue. It's the building codes issue. Yeah. And it, I think that she feels betrayed. Uh, I can't speak for the mayor, but she, uh, you know, put faith in the dolphin company that they would not, not only, uh, right. You know, when, when the county issued them this lease back in 2020. Right, and they yeah. would renovate and upgrade the facility and make it into a world-class, you know, yeah. experience. But, and it has, it, that's not happened. But John, remind us when and how this decline in the Sequarium's facilities and animal care performance began. Is this something that's been building over time or, or is it oh, more recent? Yeah, and you probably know this because if you've been around... When I was with the Associated Press in the 90s, I was covering uh, Lolita 
and the animal activists claimed that her enclosure violated federal violation mm-hmm. regulations, I mean, because it was too small. Uh, they failed to get any traction, despite, I mean, there have been protests in front of Sequarium for decades, you know, yeah. trying to free these animals. Mm-hmm. But then there was uh, this this documentary, Blackfish, which looked at uh, orca captivity at, uh, you know, and entertainment and the public sentiment changed yeah societal and, attitudes have really really changed yeah, in the past yeah. Quarter and, and, century. That yeah. Mm-hmm. and that happens you know uh you know when i was a kid i i didn't have a seatbelt on you know <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah. yeah so uh so yeah. that so those attitudes changed and parks like uh, sea world have tried to uh evolve with with the public uh, on these issues Right. And so Sequarium kind of got stuck in in a time warp, I think, you know, they're kind of uh, vestige of the past. Yeah, it's a good way of putting it, that that time warp analogy. But but let's let's fast forward in that time warp to now and the Dolphin Company. But what is it about this particular firm and its management that that seems to be such a factor and a problem here? Well, uh, Eduardo Albor, which is the president of the Dolphin Company, is very vocal on on social media, and he has pushed back on any criticism. Uh, and you know, uh, the fact is is that last year it was like a snowball going downhill. I mean, we got to take a look at the death of Lolita, right? Here was this huge rollout that they were going to move this elderly, sickly. Orca, uh, and really a beloved uh, mascot sure. of, yeah. of Miami. I mean, I, I, just, I took my kids to see her 25 years ago. Yeah. My, my kid dressed up as her for <laughs> Halloween one right. year. Right. You know, so I mean, and, and, and move her to a sea pen in Washington State. People who knew yeah. this animal, former trainers that I interviewed, said this was just a was this is what they said was a pr stunt there was no way they could move her she was never going to be well enough to move right maybe they can get her to sequarium and she could be, have a, a larger tank right. i mean that's the sea world i'm sorry yeah and uh and and so and then she expires know, uh, and but, but weeks earlier they were saying she's doing great she's yeah. doing awesome no you're and right she yeah. was and so that was a real that made worldwide headlines for yeah, death. The optics, okay? the optics were not good. Yeah, you're. you're and then you're it right. turns out that the USDA was finding all kinds of problems. There, mm-hmm. there was report after report finding you know problems with the water quality, problems with mold in the penguin, or something like that in the right. penguin enclosure. I might be incorrect there, mm-hmm. but you know problems with the penguin enclosure. Injuries to animals, you know, I think right. there was some dolphin encounter, which uh, uh, ingested dolphin. a nail, I think you mentioned in your report. Yeah. 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 So but and, what... and it's just one thing after another. And it, it's right. and then then the county acts to, to, uh, to you know, and, with the and, and these these key decertifications that we, we believe they've gone. They, they, we're talking about groups like the Alliance of Marine Mammals, Parks, and Aquariums, the American Humane Association. These are high-profile groups that are essentially telling this aquarium, you're not passing muster, right? Yeah, and these groups are not returning my phone calls. Uh, I mean, you know, i got other other fish to fry. 
Uh-huh. Right. But, you know, with other stories, but I called them and they didn't respond. Huh. I mean, it is important to note that at, around Lolita's death before and after animals were being shipped out, you know, uh-huh. manatees, dolphins, you know, they, they were being shipped out to other facilities. Right. Uh, you know, so it's been, like I said earlier, like, you know, something that's just been gathering steam. It's been a bad year for this aquarium. Mm-hmm. This is the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. I'm Tim Paget. We're talking about the possible demise of the Miami Seaquarium. Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576, or tweet us at WLRN. So, John, what's at stake here, not just for the Seaquarium, but for Key Biscayne and, for that matter, Miami and South Florida? This is for generations, as we've been saying, it's been not just one of the community's most important tourist attractions, but a certain source of identity pride as who we are as a maritime and seaside community, no? Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen recent uh, statistics. I'd have to talk, you know, to the people that, you know, look at tourist numbers. But this was like one of the top tourist attractions in our area. I mean... So I don't know if it still is, uh, but the f- the fact is is that it would take I mean I don't know how much money to to renovate that park, and I don't know if any company would be up for the task, especially with the public sentiment regarding animal perform performances. Right. But if this park goes south, John, what kind of a financial economic impact are we talking about specifically for Key Biscayne? Oh, well, no, Key Biscayne is watching this intently, not so much because they're worried about, you know, tourists coming over from from the park, but what's going to happen to that land. Okay, they are. And and the mayor has said we are like adamantly against any development on Virginia Key. But that land is pristine. You know, I mean, it it is so valuable and not to be cynical. There was some real estate players in the uh, in the movement in that in that effort to move uh, Lolita, right? Right. I mean, mm-hmm. they, you know, it, it was just kind of odd. Uh, suddenly, they take great interest in this whale, right? Right. So, I mean, so if if Sequarium goes goes down, I mean, look, it. We have seen so much stagnation, you know, especially when it falls in into this, you know when we look at the marine stadium right i mean right we could have another another situation like that Mm -hmm. no and i'm glad you know you've raised the question of you know what what happens here i mean the seaquarium as we've been mentioning is obviously an important issue to mary levine kava given how personally involved she seems to have gotten on this issue i mean writing you know personal letters to to uh, the Dolphin Company, et cetera. So I, I guess that begs the question, if the county yanks the lease, what then? What do we replace it with? As you've been discussing, there are all kinds of, you know, uh, uh, rumors swirling around of what, what might be done with that very valuable piece of real estate. But what do you replace something like the Sequarium with if it goes down? I mean, your guess is as good as mine. I mean, developers would love to build a you know, a condominium there, you know, a luxury condominium. I mean, right. it's, that, yeah, but, you but know. Is it, but is a new, but is a new luxury condo building going to draw people from Minnesota to come to Miami? 
maybe and the snowbirds, <laughs> the snowbirds you know yeah. right we do get a lot of people from you know yes I, I guess i've got to start learning to think more in the in the in the miami logic then i guess um, right but look there there is going to be crazy pushback and you know the stagnation regarding any kind of development uh, you know around the rickenbacker whether it be Mm-hmm. The Rickenbacker Marina, which is, you know, full of scandal or, or you know, like I mentioned, the Marine Stadium, it just it just doesn't seem to get done. You know what I see? I see Seaquarium sitting empty for several years, I'm afraid. Well, if that, I mean, if that happens, John, I mean, by the same token here, how would you say that the Seaquarium's troubles and all these other troubles that you're mentioning out there, how does that you know, let's take two steps back in the bigger picture here. How does that hurt Miami's image and reputation as, well, a steward of those maritime traditions the park has always represented? Well, you know, it. yeah, I think it goes back to my seatbelt analogy. Things that th- people evolve, communities evolve, evolve. And, you know, maybe it's I don't think from a worldwide perspective that they would say, uh, you know, that it, it would be a knock on Miami. You could see Miami evolving, you know. Right. No, no, no. They, that, I mean, that, that you raise a, that you raise a very good point, I think, that maybe maybe the demise of this aquarium is just maybe, a, you know, a, 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 a natural evolution of things. And um, we should we should just realize that parks like the aquarium really don't have much of a future given you know the new societal mindset that we have today about these things yeah i mean it's kind of i always thought that where's the, that this area should have an aquarium of some sort you know the, uh-huh. something on the on the level like the atlanta has i mean so that's something i'm wondering you know mm-hmm. in the future miami might want to consider but you know, it doesn't right. have to be on Virginia Key. John, in the 30 seconds we have left here, what are people in Key Biscayne themselves telling you or that you're hearing that they want to see replace that property if, if this aquarium disappears? I, I think they, they want to just they just don't want to see any development there. Okay. So I guess we would have to think that they would want to park and playing fields, which is badly needed. Okay. Right. No. Okay. Very good notion to end on there. John Pacenti is the executive editor of the Key Biscayne Independent. John, many thanks. Thank you. Still to come, we talk with the daughter of reggae legend Bob Marley about the new movie One Love. This is the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. Welcome back to the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. I'm Tim Paget. Won't you help to sing these songs of freedom? Cause all I ever have Redemption songs Redemption songs Emancipation It has been 43 years since Jamaican reggae legend Bob Marley died from cancer at the age of just 36. But the musical and cultural legacy he left is epic and timeless. Pioneering albums like Catch a Fire and Exodus. Hit songs like Get Up, Stand Up, Could You Be Loved, Jamming, No Woman, No Cry, 
and the achingly beautiful anthem here, Redemption Song. They're not, they not only put reggae on the map, they deeply altered the map. The reggae repertoire that Marley and his band The Wailers gave us was born amid the social turmoil and hope of post-colonial 1970s Jamaica. And that's the backdrop of Bob Marley, One Love, a new movie that opened this week focused on a dramatic and almost deadly turning point in Marley's life and career. To talk about One Love, we are honored to be joined by Bob Marley's daughter, Sharon Marley, who is a Grammy Award-winning reggae singer and songwriter in her own right. Sharon, thanks so much for being with us. Hi, Tim. Thanks for having me. Have you seen One Love? What did you think? Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576, or tweet us at WLRN. Sharon, as I mentioned at the outset, your father passed away 43 years ago, and while while his music and influence are obviously as strong as ever today, I'm curious about what compelled your family to tell his story in a film at this particular moment. And, and I say that because this does feel very much like a family-involved project. Your brother Ziggy Marley is One, Lo- One Love's producer, for example. But, but why now? Well, I think it's timely. Um, another year of celebrating his birthday just passed oh, on the right. 6th of February. And so, you know, each year we try and do something special to recognize that day. And so this year it was the movie that we we worked together to bring it to the theaters, you know, for even the younger generation to learn something more about Bob's life. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just a small segment of Bob's life, you know, most of the young ones know his music but they don't really know of these kind of personal instances right. in his life. Right. So the, the it's also, yeah. yes, it's also a, a part of teaching the younger generation about the history of Bob Marley. Mm-hmm. What, what, along those lines, what do you hope the film will convey to a new 21st century generation about your father's music and its global impact? Do you feel, for example, that there's an affinity today between reggae and the hip-hop and techno music genres that are so popular now? Well, there's always been some involvement with um, reggae music when it comes to the development of new genres. Right. You know, there is um, reggaeton, there is the Afrobeat music that is definitely a derivative of the reggae music. But even more so than the music itself, it shows them um, Bob's resilience, you know, Mm -hmm. his, his way of facing danger and dealing with what his mission is at the same time Mm -hmm. he didn't just fall back when the assassination attempt was made he made sure he was safe but he kept on doing his music you know it's it's a it's a way of teaching them don't give up in the face of devastation right and and, and, it's not only about music Right. And when and when we look back on songs like Redemption Song, Get Up, Stand Up, when I think of today's generation, my kids, for example, who are in their 20s, you know, words like decolonization are so important in their social agenda. And and Mm -hmm. those songs, I would imagine, still very much speak to them. No. Oh, yes. It's still it will always be the strong leadership qualities that Bob displays 
that comes to the forefront of your mind when you hear his music. Right. It's rebellious music as well as some music to sit down and think about your consciousness, your spirituality. So it's it's a wide cross section of what we live in today's world mm -hmm. that his music has covered and will always be a part of the revolution. You know, mm -hmm. but but aside from that cultural impact, what did your family hope the film would project about your father, Bob Marley, as a human being? And for that matter, your mother, Rita, who played such an important role in his life and his work. Well, it, it definitely shows the people that my mother was a rock, you know, and is still a rock. And she was very supportive of Bob's mission. You know, she was there as well with the bullet still lodged in her head. To today, she still has that bullet in right. her head. But from, she... and, I, and I should tell our listeners from the mm -hmm. assassination attempt that was made on the both of them in 1976. Yes, mm -hmm. um, which they the film depicts. Exactly, and it it kind of it shows their their personal life to an extent, being that they they remained closer than ever even to the end as much as their other mm -hmm. other matters going on around them including his newfound fame including um his safety including him being around the children not enough because right. he's always there in the studio mm -hmm. but she she remained together with him right there a hundred percent. It it really goes into that private side of their lives, you one, know, to show them as a couple. You know, one thing the reviews of the film all agree on is that the performances are exceptional. What impresses you most yes. about the way Kingsley Benadire captures your father on screen, and how Lashana Lynch captures your mother? You know, we we met Lashana. She came to our house a couple of times. Um, she sat with mom. She's very humble. And she really absorbed my mother's energy. And I could see her defiance even in the in the film. You know, she was determined to make my mother seen in the movie. Even though it's the Bob Love, the Bob Marley One Love, mm -hmm. she was determined to portray my mother not just as a wife, but as a strong woman. You nice. know, and, and in Ben's um case I was very surprised how much he embodied the persona of Bob Marley. Mm -hmm. You know, he no actor is the the living 100% looks like the person that they're portraying. And so him, his body changed, he lost weight to right. be in the whole frame of Bob and but he exudes a lot of Bob's Quality, a lot of Bob's personality. Right. One thing, was one, one this young man. One thing reviewers point out is, is is how well his performance seems to project the Rastafarian spirituality that was so important to yes. your father. Yes, and and even his speech, you, you know, the patois. The patois, right? Yeah. His language, it's it's a difficult language to uh, master, but he did an excellent job considering he has no. Jamaican heritage. Mm -hmm. Lashana on the other end, she has parentage from Jamaica. Mm -hmm. So she's kind of a little bit more used to the patois, but he, like he said, it was over 10 linguists on the set mm -hmm. to make sure that this patois was as close to perfect as possible. So, you mm -hmm. know, kudos to both those actors, right. you know? 
One Love's focus is that period in 1976 when a lot of social and political tension was coming to a head in Jamaica, and it definitely affected your father, as, both as an artist and as a spokesman for Jamaica and, and, and people all over the developing world, for that matter, so much so that, that he and your mother were victims of, as you've pointed out, an assassination attempt that year, which is depicted in the film, and also so much that he gave a peace concert as a way of confronting that turmoil and trying to defuse it. How important was that social situation of the mid-1970s to the development of reggae and your father's musical art? Well, you know, Bob Marley is an ambassador of peace, not only in Jamaica, but world over, because he also went to Zimbabwe when they got their independence um, from Rhodesia. So I think him playing that concert was vital for his own country's peace. Right. You know, and um, even with that bullet still lodging his elbow, still being a target, he went the, I think it was two days after the incident, he went on stage and performed. Right. You know, that's to show that he really believes in what he's saying. He, he really believes that mm-hmm. peace can be in Jamaica at that time because politics world over can be devastating but at that time there was a lot of tension a lot of killings more mm-hmm. so than you know now I would I would want to say right and so both both parties had different members who would come to him personally to say look we would like peace can you help us with this mm-hmm. so it shows his leadership qualities you know and his right. belief in one love. This is the South Florida Roundup on WLRN. I'm Tim Padgett. We're talking with Sharon Marley about One Love, the biopic about her father, reggae legend Bob Marley, which opened this week. Call us at 800-743-WLRN, 800-743-9576. You can also tweet us at WLRN. Um, Sharon, I also want to point out that before your father died, he encouraged you and your siblings to pursue your own Grammy Award-winning musical careers. You and your brother Ziggy performed for many years as the Melody Makers, correct? Mm-hmm. And how does your own singing and songwriting reflect mm-hmm. but also move beyond the reggae your father pioneered? Well, I think it naturally grew... Um from us being carrying on our father's legacy to us being um, individual people. And therefore the music changed as Mm -hmm. life went on, you know, which is a natural progression. So persons were saying we changed from singing reggae to singing pop, Mm -hmm. or we weren't just pure reggae singers, but it's not that we weren't, we are not pure reggae singers is that times change, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you have to move with the flow of even how you're thinking, mm-hmm. how you're thinking. You're not always thinking politics or you're not always thinking freedom. Sometimes you're thinking about love. Sometimes you're thinking about sadness. Mm-hmm. You know, some of our music were were really made um, to represent Bob's passing and mm-hmm. how it affected us. Right. You know, yeah. so some of the, that is sad music, now, this- you know, but... Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm just saying reggae is still our root. 
Yes. Even though we like to say, we were exposed to all kind of music in our house growing up, mm -hmm. gospel music, Stevie Wonder, blues, you know, and so our music did portray uh, a mixture of those music that we've heard over right. the years. Now, this month, you released a new single yourself called Steppa with Jamaican yes. DJ Big Youth. I want to play yes, a clip. Steppa. I want to play a clip of that track. But can you first just quickly tell us a little bit about the song? Well, Steppa, as you know, uh, from the early days were, were men who danced, uh -huh. right? But then it's grown now to men who actually are breadwinners for their whole community. They uh -huh. give jobs to everyone in the community. They're supporting their community and their whole belief in this system okay. is supposed to be this way well, well let's let's so, let, let's let's hear a little bit from that track right now let's go into so many times i from the spotlight to get your love back what was this love life oh i need my step so right spending, now so mending, so mending, and when you hold tight i'd love you all night under the moonlight what was this love like oh i need my step right now that was the new song Steppa by Sharon Marley with Jamaican DJ Big Youth. Sharon is a Grammy Award winning singer songwriter and the daughter of reggae legend Bob Marley. The new movie about his life, Bob Marley One Love, opened in theaters this week. Sharon, we really appreciate your time. Many, many thanks and congratulations on the new film and the new song. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Finally, on the roundup. Speaking of legends, remember this moment last year from Lionel Messi's debut with our Major League Soccer team, Inter-Miami? Messi! Could it have been any other way? Magnificent! The Argentine superstar planted an astonishing last-minute winning goal into the upper corner of the net. It seemed to confirm all the ecstatic hype surrounding Messi's decision to bring his greatest of all time talents to Miami. Since then, the hype has subsided a bit, but next week we'll get our first chance to see whether it has legs. Messi and Inter Miami, who have since been joined by other international megastars like Uruguay's Luis Suarez, will start their new season next Wednesday, February 21st, at Drive Pink Stadium in Fort Lauderdale where the team is still playing while we wait for our spanking new soccer palace in Miami. That'll do it for the South Florida Roundup. It's produced by Helen Acevedo with help from Polly Landis. Our engagement editor is Katie Cohen. Katie Munoz is our director of original live programming. Our director of enterprise journalism is Jessica Bakeman. Mateo Sanchez is digital editor. Sergio Bustos is WLRN's vice president of news. The vice president of radio and the show's technical supervisor is Peter J. Mertz. Richard Ives answers the phones. I'm Tim Padgett. Have a great weekend, and thanks for listening. Gracias, Messi, obrigado. WLRN Public Media.